We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Hi, friends. Nick Filato here. You're probably wondering, why is Nick opening this show? Well, this is the intro to the David Syverson interview, Edition 2.0, where we answer your questions. I did not do the welcome back, and I apologize for that. Please enjoy the second part of the Big Blue Banter podcast interview with the one and only David Syverson. I want to transition into the questions from the listeners. If we have time at the end, we'll circle back to some of your day three sleepers, and maybe cool. that'll be in some of the questions, so that will work out that way. But let's cool. start with a question from Giants Comparables, who said... Um, Considering, uh, I guess you kind of answered this one already. He was basically asking your take on uh, Manuel Forbes. So we're going to pass that one just because it was already answered by Cy here. But James Cardi will say this. What prospects are the best fits uh, in the front seven for a Wink Martindale-style defense? Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think we could start off even early that there's a name that I'm just intrigued by. I haven't graded as a kind of like the top of the second round. I have no idea where this kid's going to go. I don't think anyone else does either. It's the other D lineman from Clemson, Brian Perse. Mm-hmm. Um, started off as an absolute stud, like best defender on the team as a true freshman. This is when back when Clemson was like kind of the, the program uh, nationwide. Tears his ACL week four, week year three. You know, I want to you know keep this to football, but when you're when you're scouting football, it does help to know the background information. Um, you know, his, his sister. Passes away from cancer, right? Obviously, that's going to have an impact on your entire life and, and training. He's coming back himself from a torn ACL. He gets put into the hospital with a kidney infection that stemmed from a, a bad case of strep throat, right? And it was in the hospital, and I think his weight was fluctuating 40 pounds. And the, and the defensive coaching staff had to prevent him from playing a full snap load. And I remember my notes on him like, wow, he's sloppy. I didn't even know about this until right. later on. And you start to see, all right, what I like about him in relation to Martindale is what Leonard Williams kind of does for this defense. He can kind of move inside and out. He can be your run stuffer, not at a very high level. I think Williams struggles there a little bit. But he can penetrate as a pass rusher from multiple different angles. And he's got the frame to add a lot more good quality muscle mass over the course of the years. Now that he's no longer going through those personal struggles, he's no longer in and out of the hospital with the sickness. And he's no longer rehabbing an ACL. Someone's going to get the Brisey version of Brisey version of maybe his sophomore year, where he's still kind of early on the progression curve. So that's the kind of defensive lineman that I think the Giants and Martindale would like to get. It's not necessarily just a nose tackle. Um, Dexter Lawrence is going to fill a lot of these kind of question marks. If there's one kind of defensive lineman that I think Martindale would work the best with, it would be 
that kind of Leonard Williams inside out penetrating type. So per se from Clemson is a guy that I like there. Um, Zach, uh, probably not Zach. Colby Wooden from Auburn is kind of like a hybrid D tackle, DN outside linebacker played ever. What does Vardell want to do? Let's dumb this down. He wants to confuse the deep offense. That's his number one task. You get a Colby Wooden from Auburn who played free tech, nose tackle, outside linebacker. You know that he has the skill set to do it. Um, one more name there would be Carl Brooks from Bowling Green. Under talked about day three sleeper tight, did not get a combine invite, but he was at the senior bowl. He's a 300 pound edge defender at Bowling Green that was very productive but will probably shift more inside at the next level as I got three tech tight, lacks length, lacks like really explosive traits, but he knows how to play and he gives you that inside outside option. Love those calls there. Yeah, if you turn on the UNC game against uh, for Brian Brezzi, you see like him have pressure around the edge. He beat a tackle with yep. an inside spin mood, had a club rip. Like he was just employing his entire pass rushing repertoire at the end of that season when he was starting to battle back from all the adversity right. that he faced. I mean, that's a lot. There's prognostication there, but I completely understand why. So we also have a question from Mitchell Lander. It kind of pertains to the question you just answered, but it's just best fits for the front seven of a Wink Martindale defense. So if you have any day three linebackers and players like that, or maybe other edge rushers that come to your mind that you really like who would fit uh, Mitchell's question. So Ivan Pace is a guy, we already talked about him. So I'll get to a different name, a guy that I think just, you know, has the, the versatility, the speed that Martindale wants. Shaka Hayward from Duke okay. kind of played a lot of different spots on that team. I think he measured in around 6'3", 245 and had a really good workout, just vertical, broad um, and, and 40. And also on a team, kind of like Adebore from Northwestern, nothing around him. He was the guy. He was always the guy, but he was still productive, still hustling, flying all over the field. I think he can make a name for himself as a special teamer early on and try to work his way up the ladder um, in the linebacker room. An edge defender that I think day three fit. Um, if we're, again, if you want more, hey, I don't want a 4-3 defensive end like what we talked about with Diaby and Keon White. Um you know, I want more of an actual outside linebacker that has some versatility. Yasir Abdullah from Louisville. Now that Hassan Reddick is just blowing up the NFL, man, I wish the Giants got him a few years ago when he was yeah, available. No. Um, just would have been such a perfect fit. But the uh, he's kind of a very similar. A lot of the, if you like Nolan Smith from Georgia, I'm going to say this statement, right? If you like Nolan Smith from Georgia, you kind of have to like Abdullah from Louisville. Not nearly as high, right? Nolan Smith is probably going to be a top 20 pick, maybe even higher than that. But Abdullah was very productive. He's unbelievably explosive, a little undersized, but he knows, kind of like some of these other guys that we've talked about, he actually knows how to use his lack of size to his advantage. So he's a guy that I think is a name worth considering as an outside linebacker that is in a similar mold to Tyus uh, Bowser, uh, okay. from the outside linebacker from Baltimore that was drafted while Martindale was there. Just kind of like a pure, like, hey, if you want to say, Thibodeau and Ojolari are our physical guys on the edge. We want someone, some package guy that can scream off the edge with that speed. Abdul is a name to consider. That's Yasir. Yeah, Yasir Abdullah from Louisville. I mean, he was, Bowser was like the pure Sam for for Wink Martindale's defense. He played a vital role. No one really discussed him because they were talking about all the other talent in that defense, but that was a really pivotal role. So I like that call. And that's, that's a tough, that's a tough position to fill. I know a lot yeah, of yeah. defensive coaches that just, they can't, they, it's a really hard guy to find. And one thing Cy mentioned, or one thing about all the players Cy mentioned, or most of them at least, 
you know, you I just go back to this sometimes when I think about drafting players, especially for what the Giants need. You just can't go wrong with size and length, especially at that edge. Like you need to be able to set the edge. And also it leads to a lot of batted passes the line of scrimmage. That's why I like Miles Murphy falls to 25. Like I'm fine with that pick because I know what he's going to provide early on. There may not be the biggest ceiling for a player like that, but he's going to help in ways the Giants need him to right away. Here's another question from James Cardi, who asks, um, any day three quarterbacks with kind of the DJ Daniel Jones type of profile, you know, size, mobility, you can mold them type traits that you think the could interest uh, Brian Dable and Mike Kafka right now. So the Daniel Jones profile, believe it or not, love him or hate him. It's actually kind of a hard profile to find someone that, that, that that's big as him. And that's sure. athletic as him. I really do think Jones is a much better physical standout than what people give him credit for. Um, but if you want athleticism, this guy actually has Tyrod Taylor written all over him. I like him. Some don't, but I'm going to stick with my uh, my grade on him is Dorian Thompson Robinson from UCLA. 6'1", 203, um, 4'5", 540. You know, I've watched a lot of UCLA, UCLA football. There's just been a lot of, whether it's been cross-checking or prospects on that team that I wanted to watch. Mm-hmm. And the one standout trait to him, and he is in a very emotional quarterback, which, you know, can – really hurt or help you based on how, how the game's going. Right. Uh, because I think when he gets some momentum, it's almost like his confidence grows so much that he almost looks like unstoppable at times. But the second something goes wrong, he can't control the downward spiral. So that is an issue. That's probably why I don't have him higher than where I do. But as a day three quarterback that you put behind Tyrod Taylor for a year and have to carry three quarterbacks, I believe he's kind of like an ideal backup to Daniel Jones in that he can sling it, all right? We get some numbers, some metrics from the combine about how hard these guys throw the ball. I believe Thompson Robinson had the, the – he threw the ball at the highest RPM, highest mile per hour out of every quarterback there. The, dude, the dude's got a, an arm when he really gets a, that torque involved. But I like backup quarterbacks that can run. Like, yeah. I don't want to see Mike Lennon or Jake Fromm come into the game when you're starting quarterbacks because you just know they're not good enough passers to make things happen – and if things start to break down, you can't do anything with their legs. This kid is an elite athlete that is tough as nails and I believe is going to see starts in the NFL. I do. Just like kind of Tyrod Taylor. Like if there's no one in front of him, that kind of situation, that, that's the kind of kid. And by all accounts, he could have left last year and gotten drafted. And he went back to school, not because he was going to try to improve his draft stock. It was all for the team. And He's a really artistic mind. A lot of kid, people don't know this about him um, because of the way he comes across in the field. He's such a competitor that you almost kind of hate him for it for it sometimes, like almost too emotional. But he's very smart, very intelligent, knows the game very well. I think someone's going to get a steal in this kid if you're looking for a quality backup quarterback. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now 
and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Love the DTR call. So we have another question. This one's from Jamie Basold. We kind of touched on this, but I want to alter it a little bit. Is there a player that drops that you realistically trade up for or should we stay pat and take bpa now i want to remove the cornerbacks from the discussion and ask you is there a player in this draft that's not a cornerback that you think the giant should entertain trading up for you're talking round one right round one that's a great question i mean yeah there are players that i believe in that are worth trading up for and you know if you're going to bring up the topic of is someone going to fall Christian Gonzalez is a corner from Oregon that many of us have at the top, but a lot of the cornerback talk right now is about Witherspoon. It's about Porter that if one of these corners does drop like Gonzalez, I would trade up for him, you know, even as high as like top 15, which, you know, according to the chart, you might have to give up a first and second and then maybe get like a fourth back from someone so that you're not losing um, your, your quantity of picks. That's someone I would trade up for Brian branch from Alabama is someone we haven't talked about yet that I think is worth a discussion because of how many things he can do in your secondary. If I think the Julian Love departure to Seattle is going to hurt this defense more than people think. Um, I don't think he was a star, but I just think that he did so many, he was kind of like a glue to me that I still think there's an unknown in McKinney. I think you have an unknown at nickel and I think you have an unknown at outside corner. There's just a lot of questions in this secondary that I'm confident Martindale will figure it out. Uh, but Branch is someone that can kind of hold things together because he can do a lot of different roles. And the last one that I would consider trading up for because he is a top 10 player on my board that would probably make some people angry oh. is the guard is the guard from Florida, Osiris Torrance. Because I think if you get that kind of – I mean, look no further than Philadelphia, guys. If you get an offensive line that can just kick the crap out of people week in, week out, you're going to be standing at the end if the rest of the team is just good enough. Right. If you don't have a good enough offensive line, you can still win. It's just going to be a, a much more inconsistent, shaky path. Torrance is a guy that I think steps in week one, has just like Sauce Gardner never allowed a touchdown over his entire college career. This kid at Louisiana and Florida never allowed a sack over the course of his entire career. Um, he was 420 pounds in high school. He's obviously a very mature individual. He applied, he completely reshaped his body. He uh, got on the field at Louisiana right away. And there was a, a coach on that offensive line staff at Louisiana that was with the Giants for a year. Rob um, Sale. Sale, that's right. And he was quoted saying, on a line that had Max Mitchell, uh, Dotson, and Robert Hunt, three guys have started games in the NFL. Two of them are pretty good, in my opinion. As a freshman, they said, this kid's better than all three of those guys. Wow. And then he goes to Florida, transfers, not because he had to. He was probably going to be a first-rounder last year no matter what, right, if he stayed at Louisiana. I thought it was his best tape of his career in the SEC. So it, it, I'm, I'm biased towards the offensive line, and I know that. I'm not going to change it. If you get me a dominant offensive line, and if Evan Neal works out, you got Andrew Thomas on the left side, you got uh, Osiris Torrance at right guard, I don't know if I would trade up a, a huge amount for him, but if he's sitting there at 21 and I'm thinking someone else might grab him, I would send someone a fourth-round pick to get him. Absolutely. Is I there a big – yeah, I'm oh, sorry, Dan. Is there a big disparity for you between Osiris Torrance and Steve Avila, who are similar type of players just in terms of power guards? Yeah, there is. What okay. I like about Avila that Torrance doesn't bring is the fact that he could play multiple spots. Uh, yeah. He played tackle center. And, you know, he might even – some think he could project better to center. I think he's got to lose a little bit of weight. He's a little sloppy there. 
the body type with Avila also worries me. I'm not huge on offensive linemen that are really top heavy, not because of aesthetics, but because of the uh, ability to hold up, you know, with with the joints, the knees, the hips, the back, the ankles, right? The Kai Becton's a good example. Um, just a few of these guys that he's a little too top heavy for me. Uh, so if I'm, you know, I'm taking Torrance over Avila every day, twice on Sunday, but um, so yeah, I do have a big gap between him, but Torrance is a top 10 player on my board. Avila is kind of at the top of round two. And I will say this for those of you who heard it, Ty said he, as I said, he is an offensive line enthusiast to a fault and I'm with him and we both believe in the inside out drafting process. And yet he still also said earlier on this podcast, he doesn't think a single center in this great, in this draft is worth taking at 25 overall. And he said, not even close. And so just keep that in mind for all those of you in the comment section who I've seen who've given me crap for not wanting center in round one. It has nothing to do with my thoughts on building an offensive line, how to build down an NFL roster. You have to remember you're drafting players, not positions. It's very important. The one uh, drawback, by the way, I have for Tor- for Torrance, and I don't know if I'm putting too much weight into this. I know I've been told in the past I might be. It's the 23 and a half inch vertical jump and the broad jump, uh, just terrible numbers. Now, yeah. having said that, and that usually is supposed to show off explosiveness for an alignment. I remember there are examples that have worked, like Orlando Brown Jr. Horrible testing ends up being a great tackle at the NFL level, or at least a solid tackle at the NFL level. So, do you have any? Does that give you any reservations, or not really? Yeah, it, it does. I mean, if there's one position I don't care about workouts that much, it is the offensive line. So if that was if there was an anomaly like that at receiver, tight end, uh, defensive back, I probably would weigh him down, uh, the, the prospect itself, if someone was like that far down the workout numbers. Um, but like you said, I mean, there's this – I have every combine result on a spreadsheet that I kind of just always like to find a comparison just to make sure it's been done. And there are a lot of offensive linemen that have done a really good job in the NFL that just did not jump well or even move well with the three cone. Okay. You know, if it was a tackle, I do think I'd be a little bit more concerned with it. Um, but I thought his tip against Jalen Carter kind of told me everything I needed to know in terms of how quickly he can get point A to point B. Love that. All right. Let's get to the next one from Thetis Sun, who says, if the top four corners are off the board, and Bijan Robinson drops to 25. If you were the GM of the Giants, would you take him, Cy? Uh, trade down. <laughs> yeah, that's enough. I mean, that, that, that is tough. Um, I mean, I guess it needs to be talked about. I mean, I think there's, I think he's going top 15, um, maybe even top 10 to Atlanta. That's kind of where I have him pegged right now. Um, I mean, look, there's not, there are not many elite players in the in the draft, right? I think I only have uh, two: Will Anderson and Jaden Carter. Then I have a couple guys right under that tier. And Bijan's in that tier. So because I don't think running back, I, just because I don't think Saquon's going to be here long-term, I hope he is. I, I really do um, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, but because I, I, I have a strong feeling, I would consider it. But I think I would go elsewhere, you know. And to me, when you grade, you know, you have a 1,000 grades on, on players after you figure out, like, who's not even going to be considered – you know, you have a lot of guys in clusters. I don't just use like numerical. He's my eighth ranked player. He's my ninth. He's my tenth. He's my eleventh. They're just clusters of guys, right? And I believe there's going to be someone in Bijan's cluster that will be available at the Giants if he slips down there. You know, a guy that I project to, you know, make the Pro Bowl at some point in his career. Uh, so my answer would be no. I wouldn't take Bijan. 
We got a question from Bitey Max. He asks, the Giants have three seventh round picks. Assuming we keep them all, is there anyone specifically Cy would like to take a flyer on at the end of the draft? So we're talking about deeper sleepers, Cy. I know you've done your work. So what's your what's your answer here? Yeah, I mean, seventh round, I, I'm, every year. I mean, go go look at past drafts. There's quality players taking the seventh round every single year. So by no means is the draft over to me at some at that point. Um, you know, there's a running back I like. Speaking of, we'll keep it the running back tier that I think is going to be a seventh round pick, um, maybe sixth round pick, is uh, Travis Dye from USC. You know, he started off at Oregon, and he's just like kind of off the charts in the wrong direction too with size. But he just had a, uh, his own private pro day. I think he was battling an injury, and he missed the USC pro day. And he he moves really well. But I just love the style that he plays with. Uh, really shifty, low-to-the-ground runner, perfect footwork, tough as nails, leader in the locker room, will probably contribute somehow on special teams. Again, you need these guys in the seventh round to, to contribute. That's a guy that I would keep an eye on um, at running back. Um, the offensive line, there's always a few guys that I like to keep an eye on. The There's a there's a, an athlete um, – from Kansas, offensive tackle might be one of these tackled card converts. Earl Bostic Jr. from Kansas is a guy that I would keep track of. I think he could make this roster uh, on the 53, so you don't have to leave him vulnerable for the taking on the practice squad. That's another thing about drafting someone in the seventh round. You have to think about uh, if you know you can't get him on your 53 unless injuries pop up, you don't want to assume you can leave them on your practice squad because you know at some point someone's going to scoop them up. So that's another kind of economic thing to think about right. when you use guys, uh, when you use these picks. There's a kid from Wagner, a local kid, Titus Leo. is uh, He was one of the standouts from the East-West Shrine Week. They, they GPS these guys in terms of how fast they are, and he was the fastest front seven defender at the East-West Shrine Bowl, and there were a couple of freaky athletes there. Uh, so you know, that that's a name to keep. He's a slightly undersized. Uh, if we're going to talk about that Sam linebacker, uh, Bowser type linebacker for this scheme, he could fit that role. And also, before he gets there, contribute on special teams. And there's a corner that I like. I have him graded maybe a little too high for that discussion, but from what I've heard, he's probably going to be a sixth or seventh round pick. It's Carrington Valentine, corner from Kentucky. Really long, fast, aggressive man cover guy. He's got no idea what he's doing in zone. But you tell him to, you know, follow someone around the field. He's got the really good blend of staying sticky underneath, which is hard to do, but at the same time can get vertical with guys, right? You, you see very – in the SEC, by the way, very few times does a wide receiver get over the top of him and stay over the top. You know, so he's got that catch-up speed and quality ball skills. So Carrington Valentine is a guy in round seven I'm going to be looking for. I really like that final call, Carrington Valentine, because it seems like, at least based on your breakdown, and I don't know much about him, that he seems like a great fit for what Wink Marndale wants to do, what the Giants want to do. So I'll be intrigued to watch that. I got an interesting question for you from BJ Cohen. The first part is is about this draft class. The second part's a little more philosophical, so I like it. And I just want to get your take on that type of question. And it's yeah. which position is more likely to have the best options available for the giants when they get to round two or three corner receiver, which I think I know the answer already to that from you, but then how much should that influence what they do on day one? And that I'm intrigued to hear your answer on. That, that's tough, right? Like, can you accurately predict what 31 other teams are going to do with the 31 right. picks before you come on the clock? Right. <laughs> I mean, if the draft were that easy, you know, it, it, this would be a, a much simpler process. And that's where there is some risk management. Um, or, again, I think it's really important, draft weekend. I think people that watch it should do this too, is put guys in clusters, right? Yes, I have my, my ideal or my preference out of every cluster. I have them stacked accordingly. 
But if I start to see the cluster diminishing and there's no longer anyone there or there's just two guys left in that cluster and I'm nine picks away, that's a sign to me that say, hey, this is the time to trade up because I don't want to get caught with none of these guys. And that happens every year in the draft, I'm yep. sure. Uh, but to answer the question, I'm more confident there's going to be a difference making wide receiver available in round two than a corner. And if you want to play that game, which I'm fine with, right? If someone wants to say, hey, let's play the less risky game. Let's ignore wide receiver round one just because we feel better about trading up. Like, didn't they, they trade up for Wanda last year, right? Traded back um, a couple times. Twice, but yeah. back. but I think that was also based on what you just discussed with the cluster because I really feel like they wanted McCreary or Booth. And once right. both those got and then, yeah, so go on. Exactly. Yeah, at the top of the round two for the corner. So, yeah, I, I believe that I would feel better going into day two without a wide receiver than going to round two without a, a defensive back. Okay, I like that. All right, let's move to another one. You gave it earlier, I think, to answer this question from Kelsto811. So thanks for asking, but he, he wants to know your biggest surprise of the draft. I feel like you you kind of answered it with the Cansey in the top 10 possibility, but you have any other surprises you want to throw out there? Yeah, um, just looking at mine real quick. I have um, Julius Brents going in round one, um, and I have Quentin Johnson falling into round two. Uh, I, I believe those are two things that you could see. It's funny. they. Uh, I remember the tape of those two guys going head to head. I was so excited to watch that tape. You just yeah. who they are and the, the physical package that they bring to the table. And everyone has Johnson as round one. Everyone has Brent as day two. I think it could reverse based on the, the uniqueness that Brent brings to the table. Johnson, for all things considered, right, he's not that unique, right? I love the body type, the long strides. He looks like an avatar that plays football. I think the upside with him is through the roof. I really do. If every single one of these receivers hits their ceiling, their absolute ceiling, I think Johnson's is the best. It's just that the floor with him is going to be pretty low. And in a class with – and year after year, we see these strong wide receiver classes. Or I shouldn't even see it strong. I should say deep, right? You have probably 12 guys that can say they're, they're day two greats, right? You just feel safer with waiting till day two and using that first-round asset on another player – Whereas Brents, who like who is like Brents in this class? You know, he, he's point. a unicorn. There is no one like him. And, I mean, how many times do we have to watch Travis Kelsey? Just like, how many times do you watch the Chiefs play? Like, does anyone want to cover him? How is he always open? And a lot of that is scheme. Andy Reid's the best coach in the NFL, in my opinion. But it, there just isn't a profile of defender that fits in with a big tight end like that. And I think we're going to see more of these guys. I think we're going to see... You know, guys like Dalton Kincaid and, and Luke Musgrave and Darnell Washington, Brock Bowers next year. You're going to yes. see tight ends start to take over the wide receiver market a little bit. And to be ahead of the curve, you got to find the guys that can cover them, and they need a specific profile, and Brents has that profile. Love that. Hey, Sai, we, we got this question. It's more personal for you. It's from Nabala. <laughs> they ask, what position would you say you seem to scout more accurately or have a better track record than your peers? And which one would you say you struggle with the most? Struggle with? I'll, I'll say that one first. Corners. I, I really, I, I've been off on so many corners over the years. And part of it was, I think when I started doing this, I didn't have that much access to all 22 tape. I'm not, made, I'm not making excuses for myself, by the way, but you do need specific tape to, to get an accurate read on a corner. You got to have that all 22 tape. Um, either from the midfield angle or the end zone angle. And so that, that, that was always tough for me. But even to this day, um, you know, I do struggle. I think the corners are where I get the, it wrong the most often. Uh, the spot that I feel the best about 
is probably inside linebackers. Um, I don't have a, an illustrious playing career at all. I played in high school and that was it. I was more of a baseball guy as I got out of high school, but that was where I played. I don't know if that's why, but I just find myself when I'm watching football games, like that's the spot I gravitate to a lot. And I can usually tell who plays with the instincts, who doesn't. I think instincts are such a big part. And the things I look for at linebacker, I think translate well to um, what the NFL is looking for at the position. I love also, that answer. Really, I, I like offensive line too. I think I've gotten yeah. pretty confident with the offensive line. Love it. Uh, let's do a couple more. We want to get you out. We want to be cognizant of your time, but yeah. we have a few, few more minutes here maybe. So let's get one from Steve Seven, also from BBI, who says, if it's not too late, my question is about the overall depth of this draft. I think it's a good question for you, Cy. Is this yeah. draft less deep than an average year? I'm wondering if the talent will dry up basically after about round five. I don't think so. You know, that, that's always a tough, it's an interesting, that's not a thing that would just be fun to kind of do deep dive on. Mm-hmm. We're, we still have some COVID leftover in, in these draft classes, right? That was a non-year for this one. So you see a lot of these 24-year-olds in the draft now. And I'm like, oh, this guy's old, this guy's old. Well, 2022 is, does not count against college eligibility. So that's an automatic redshirt year, right? And because of that, if you remember in 2020, right, the year or the year, um, yeah, the year that the season was kind of played around with, the, the eligibility year. So the, there was a uh, 2020 or 2021, trying to think, I just want to make sure I get this right. The draft class was unbelievably thin. I think this was the year Judge was in town and they only signed a couple of undrafted free agents. It was just like, like the pool was really dry. Yeah. And because of that, and every, every year you see a few guys come out that should have been out last year. This will all be over in two years from now. But the under the underclassmen declarations are still a thing, right? Too many of them come out, but that's not going to add or hurt to the depth of the draft year by year. But the fact that there was a huge group of guys that did not come out that one year, and some of them do come out the next year, some of them wait till the next year. I still think that draft class overall, rounds one through seven, but maybe more so rounds five through seven, it's deeper than what it would traditionally be. But in terms of the past couple of years, I don't really see a standout, you know, deeper or not as deep. All right. Well, we want to get you out of here because you did give us even more time than you promised. So thank you again cool. for doing that, Cy. And one more time before we get you out of here, Cy, thanks so much for doing this with us. But yeah. let the people know where they can find all of your work. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be – I'm really active on Twitter. Um, I got some maybe long-term moves coming up in the next year or two, but uh, we'll save that for another time. But at rlads.com, you can order our draft guide there. We do have a PDF version that you can get your hands on as well. Um, but I'm, I'm a big, I'm an old school guy. I love the hard copy draft yes. weekend, just flip, flipping through the pages, making some notes. Um, it's really well organized, you know, and um, I'm just like a grunt work guy. So I'm not trying to sell myself on how organized it is. It's just really easy to go through and trying to locate guys and reports on players. We also have team reports written up that, that are really kind of well put together. I, I uh, have half the teams. Um, one of those teams are the Giants that we kind of just do a huge synopsis on the, each position to kind of what to look for, ranking the team needs. Um, and on Twitter, you know, that's where I'm going to probably be the most active. I get asked sometimes, where can I find your work? Um, you know, we'd want you guys to purchase our lads, but the but the Twitter is obviously free. So that's going to be our lads underscore Cy is my handle. And I will be, I promise I'll be very active now up until the draft and then through the draft weekend as well. I know I need to do more throughout the year, but, you know, owning a business and uh, having a three-year-old is tough. So it's not easy. <laughs> I remember you said that last year and you've done better. I feel like you've had more of a presence as of late. Yeah. So definitely, yeah, definitely on the upward trend there. All right. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, to everyone else, 
Sorry, we did not get a chance to rate and review your mocks today. We know we've been closing out the shows that I've seen a lot of recent comments saying you love that. So I'm happy that worked out, but we'll get right back to that in the next show. So remember, if you want to get your mock draft reviewed and graded by us, just put it in the comments in the iTunes. If you uh, leave a five-star rating and review, put in the review section there. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.